two years ago, Steve and Rosie Sept uh, had the privilege of going to Israel on a pastor's tour with a ministry called Behold Israel that I had never heard of before. And uh, they had a, an amazing time. Recently, we were sitting in a staff meeting, and Pastor Steve said, you know, I think we might have the opportunity to have a, uh, a speaker from Behold Israel uh, come and, and speak at LifePoint. And I said, grab him. Don't, don't even think twice about that. Just grab him. And uh, so it worked out, and we are excited today to uh, welcome Mike Gole. Mike is the operations director for Behold Israel. Uh, he is a pastor, church planter, uh, U.S. Air Force officer, and uh, and a great guy, I've discovered. And uh, it's a privilege to welcome him today. Would you welcome him with me? Thank you. Well, I was pastoring a church. It's also a BGC church, for those of you who know what that means. Uh, that's the denomination. Nobody emphasizes it, though, because it's the Bible that we emphasize. For 17 years, and I come to this church, and uh, it's very similar. I feel like the DNA is, is a match. Like if I was to move to Washington and I lived in the area, I would come to this church. This is where I would feel at home. I love the children's ministry. I love your leadership here. I love the Bible-centered priority that you put here. And that's probably one of the reasons why why we're here anyway is um, we, we tend to gravitate to Bible teaching churches. Um, in these days and age, there's a lot of sensationalist churches and there's a lot of churches that are celebrity churches and sometimes we get invited to those. But um, my brother-in-law, Amir Tsofati, and, and I, we kind of look at ourselves and say, we, we, will, we will only go to those churches that speak the Bible because when we come and when we leave, uh, the teachings get advanced and, and, and supercharged by the leadership of the church. Um, and so it's a way for the Word of God to go forth in even more of a ripple effect, whereas just a buzz event to fill butts and seats, which we've been, um, you know, some people want us to do that stuff. And I'm going to be sharing some personal things this morning, stuff I've never shared anywhere just because I feel at home here. Can I do that? Um, and this is kind of a preface to this topic uh, the previous times I've done this topic, I haven't shared this, but years ago when I was a pastor, I loved it. I loved pastoring. I loved leadership. I loved speaking. I loved uh, counseling. I loved event coordination. And I loved all the things that go into being a pastor of, uh, of a church. And uh, my brother-in-law, Amir, who is the president of Behold Israel, by the way, we do tours to Israel. We do international speaking. We have an online presence, and you can look us up on social media, including YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram. In any event, he came to me one day and he said, look, the ministry is growing. It's growing very fast. He's an Israeli. I need your help. And I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor. I love what I do. And I don't know who else can do this. You know, you need to do it. And I, I was uh, praying about it. And I, I, I looked at, I looked at the, you know, you, if you look at some of the resources right here in the corner, it's, it's all about Bible prophecy, the times we live in. And I, I said to myself, do I really want to make a transition from pastoring? It's very, very cool to see people on a weekly basis, marriage is healed, actual healings of bodily healings and relational healings, and it's very exhilarating to, to do that. Am I really willing to take my life and risk it with all of the Bible teachings that Amir and many of the people surrounding him make bold claims of interpretive calls that have been traditionally debated highly throughout church history? So uh, I, I, I felt the the... The, the pressure, not only from my brother-in-law, but from also the, the Lord. And I can now discern that that was from the Lord. So I began checking out some of the teachings and researching and fact-checking, and I just was running into nothing that I could find that was uh, wrong. In fact, it did the opposite effect. I began to see how true all of these things were. It's almost like... I couldn't sleep at night in my present role. No matter how much I loved pastoring, this calling would not escape me. And then I just consulted some godly people in my life, and I made the call to make the switch about two, a little over two years ago. Since then, I had no idea what would happen to the world 
and play into the hands of what Scripture predicted so many years ago. At minimum, 2,000 years ago, all the way back to the prophets, including Ezekiel, which is an additional few hundred years. She's talking about 1,400 years of Bible writing that is testifying to the times we live in today. And I want to put it to the test. I want to put it to the test. The title of today's teaching is The Prophetic Timeline. I'm going to be your tour guide, and I'm going to ask you a question. If somebody said to you, are we in the last days, what would you say? Oops. Uh, Oh, don't get ahead of myself. How would you answer that question? I was in a taxi from the airport in Las Vegas heading to a conference to speak this message just a few months ago, and the taxi driver was from Boston, and he says, what do you do for for a job? And I'm like, well, I am a Bible prophecy teacher, and we have regular tours to Israel, although COVID stopped that, and we have a huge online presence where we disseminate these teachings, and we're also a news agency. He's like, what? So you believe the end of the world is coming? I said, that's one way the world might look at it, but I'm going to say we are in the last days according to the scriptures. And I knew why, and I could tell him several points why, and I knew exactly where to go in the scriptures to quote as to why, and he was blown away. He said, how can I get into this conference? This is a non-believing guy from Boston. You have a front row seat. If everything that I'm going to say today is basically true, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion points we'll have in terms of the times, but the Bible has spoken very clearly about several benchmarks that you can test the times and see if this still stands, that claim that we are in the end time. If I was to say to you, prove to me, that we're in the end times, based on the Bible, and give me substantial evidence from the world that's tied in a reasonable way to Bible. Could you do that? I heard some of you say, yes, we're in the end times. And some of you, no doubtedly, have done your homework and have probably, you're probably standing ready to share with anybody that wants to know. But today, my goal is for you to walk away knowing that we are in the end times, and being able to demonstrate why. So without further ado, there are several benchmarks that the claim has to pass through according to Scripture, and you're going to see this in a minute. There are, there are the, first, the first test is the character rot test. Okay? Did you know that the Bible and even Christian literature written after the New Testament predict that in the end times, the end of the end times, there will be a spike a noticeable global spike in people's character rotting. Compare it to a jar of freshly, um, maybe I won't go there. Let me, uh, let me, let me hold back. <clears throat> I'll get to that in a minute because it offended some people in the first service. Um, we can't believe you used that as an example. See, that's the nice thing about being a guest speaker. I can come and speak and then I'm gone the next day. <laughs> Is that an abuse? I don't know. Character rod test. There's a lot of behaviors around the world that if you're, let's say, 40 or older, you haven't seen this level of boldness and in-your-face activity. I'm talking about levels of violence. I'm talking about two-by-fours being hit across senior citizens' faces. I'm talking about child trafficking, which is now overtaking the narcotics industry. Did you know that? Because narcotics has a supply chain and you have to, you have to continue to bring in new material because the cocaine runs out. But the genius of human trafficking is a lot of the world is beginning to tolerate it more and it's a reusable product. I'm very sad to say that this world that we live in right now is really deteriorating fast into a rot that we have never seen before. I will be substantiating that argument as we move along, but we see an increase in a lot of people's character, and there's a lot more turning to drugs 
And there is impact in sexual identity. There is a dis, there is a fraction of the, of the home relationships of husband and wife, even a redefinition of marriage. And that which was true for many, many years, even in other world religious systems and pagan cultures, is now being redefined, especially the last 25 years. Let me give you an example from Scripture. This has always been written since the first century, what you're looking at. It, it has been translated into many languages. This is what we call the New Testament. Paul says to Timothy, know this. Timothy was an aspiring pastor in Ephesus. And he says, you need to know and understand because the original apostles did not know when the end times would come. They didn't know. Just like you and I don't know. But there are benchmarks that they lay out that help us to discern where we're at in the prophetic timeline. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, Unforgiving slanderers. Do you know that the word slanderers is diaboloi, which means to take something that is real or true, twist it, and make it something else and sell it and people believe it. It's what the cults have always done. It's what news agencies do. It's what politicians do. It's what school teachers do. It's what a lot of people do in the finance industry for Ponzi schemes. It's what people do to sell humans to other humans. They take something that is intrinsically evil and they put some nice colorful paint and some nice dressing around it and sell it. And they call that diaboloi in Greek, which means diabolical or demonic. Think about that. In the last days, you're going to see an acceleration of that. No self-control, brutal, despisers of good, uh, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at some of these things. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Yet while the world is continuing to do these kinds of things and reinventing or even inventing new things, the rot has gotten to levels where it's absolutely visible even to non-believing eyes. For example, if you ever watch HBO, Bill Maher is now absolutely livid about this new culture coming in. In fact, one of the quotes he said is, everybody's talking about change on the left side of the government, at least here in the United States. This is his words, not mine. He says, oh yeah, we have change in today's government. We have change in today's country. It's just that now we're eating in the bathroom and pooping in the kitchen. Okay, that's his line, not mine. This is a liberal leftist that is seeing the inevitability and the overtness of the cultural change that he is actually calling it out. Another example is Dave Chappelle, the great comedian who is black. He finds it absolutely despicable that the black culture that has fought so hard for civil rights for for many years is now being given over to the LGBT community who are getting their rights, even though it's immoral, overnight. And he thinks it's funny. So he makes jokes about it, and now they canceled him from Netflix, and nobody wants anything to do with him. On the list is also Jerry Seinfeld, Morgan Freeman, and many others that cannot stand woke culture because they're saying this is a white man's invention for a globalist regime, and they're using a sticker tag, putting it over it that no one can disagree with, which is laced with Marxist socialist evils. This is what non-believing blacks and other people are coming up with. In this sermon, I have permission to use the rhetoric that was given to me by Elder Grant Vanderpool, who is a black man, an elder of Virginia Beach, one of the churches there. And so I'm going to be quoting him throughout this because he's black. See, I'm a 52-year-old white privileged male that's a xenophobe, homophobe, and a whatever else you want to phobe on there, okay, because I have no rights anymore. But you can see that the character rot of culture has a spike. You have to admit, within the last 30 years, you're seeing things globally that are different. And if you look at this passage here, they laid that out many years ago and made that prediction. 
So that's not the only test. There are actually eight benchmarks. And to make the disclaimer, these are benchmarks that I have chosen and selected. There are others in Scripture that we could cover, but due to time, we just can't go through all of them. These are the ones that I would use for a taxi driver from Boston who is challenging me. Second test is the apostasy test. As we know, the word actually just simply means that you you take... Uh, you take the teachings that you've been following all your life and you turn from them and you go the opposite direction. In other words, if I have believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I believe in hell, I believe the Word of God is inspired by God, and I've believed that all my life and I'm walking in that direction, right now, I'm not sure that Jesus is the only way because my friends are saying, what about the aboriginal tribes? What about the people in Papua New Guinea? What about the people in the, the mountains of Afghanistan? I joined a movement and we met with these people and are they going to hell? Are you saying that? That's very arrogant and unloving and you call your God loving and he sure, certainly shouldn't be arrogant. How can somebody send so, how can God send somebody to hell where there's eternal suffering? How can you say the word of God is the only truth when we have the Bhagavad Gita, when we have the Quran, and we have all the Vedic literature out there, if you even know what some of this stuff is? Apostasy is when I doubt what I believe and I turn my back on it. And I go the other way. Over this last year. COVID has caused a lot of people to reconsider their faith and ask the question, how valuable is the assembling of the believers together? How valuable is it? A lot of people have come to the conclusion that there is very little value. In fact, that we've done this just as a machine, like a machine. We just keep going to church, and they found alternative things to believe. While COVID was going on, we had riots. We had lawlessness. We have a new wave of human trafficking, and there's a lot of people that slipped under the radar because the world was focused on COVID, and they got what they wanted and are getting what they wanted, and now it's starting to surface as we're coming out of COVID and how the world has changed. Behold Israel, we travel to many different churches throughout the world, and we did it under COVID. We still do it. We're going to continue to do it. It's a risk we take. We've all had COVID in our families. There have been COVID outbreaks, and we don't take it lightly. It's not a joke, and we used to joke about it, but we don't anymore. We've lost friends. We've lost family. But one thing's for sure, we've seen a lot of churches lose people. And it's not, it's not that they're watching online, because I always ask the question, how many of them are watching online? And the pastors will tell me. And I say, well, let's look at a sample of an entire quarter, not just the last Sunday. Let's look at sample groups. I'm a kind of a scientist in that way. And then I say, have you reached out to some of these people that used to attend? All pastors say absolutely. And we get a lot of different answers. And a lot of them are saying, we're no longer going to associate with any church from this point on. We've just been reconsidering the whole thing. And Christianity just doesn't satisfy because the world is giving me a hard time in believing such an exclusive faith and We'd rather side with progress. <sighs> Apostasy doesn't have to only be doctrinally. It can be believing in something, anything, that's diametrically opposed to the Bible. It could mean endorsing the LGBT movement and saying this is a good cause, even though my black friends had to work 20 years to get the same result that immoral people can get in one year. Isn't that just amazing? There's something going on behind the curtain. And by the way, if that's not enough, the Bible speaks about equality and the world has robbed that concept and is redefining how to get there when we, the church, already have it. The world doesn't want people to go to church and realize how equal we are before the cross. They're redefining reality and they have their own Bible. It's climate change, open borders, LGBT, do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, wherever you want, because that's what God would want us to do even though he doesn't really exist. We are people left to our own decisions because we're free. See how they twist the truth? All right, now a lot of believers have turned their back on the faith and have jumped into this and are walking in it. And many of you have family members that are involved in that as well. Because 
Look, look what it says here in the text. The Spirit expressly says, it's Paul also to Timothy. Look at how he says, expressly says. It's not just that the Spirit says. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. And this is very hard to stomach. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. That's that diaboloi, Greek. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. It's the only way you can make sin work. We're watching an Australian documentary with a transsexual young man who was becoming a woman, and they were highlighting how difficult that lifestyle is. John Hopkins University used to do reassignment surgeries, but they stopped due to the sheer depression rate and suicide rate after the surgery was performed. They were then later confronted by the social agenda of many governing agencies and forced to redo those surgeries again in the latest years. But in in Australia, just as as a sample, this young man, fine young man, uh, was misled to believe that he was a woman, and they wanted to see what that lifestyle and the complexities of that lifestyle actually look like. It's a very difficult lifestyle, and He says, I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to put extra care into prepping beyond a biological female because if I don't, I'll go out in public and people will know the truth about me. I thought, wow, that's quite the leak. We have people addicted to drugs, addicted to themselves. We have people that are addicted to heterosexual relationships and violating their own marriage, that's probably more of an issue than the, in the church than anything. Trust me, I know I'm a pastor. I've had many people come to me and say, I want to get rid of this other relationship and I don't know how to tell my wife, should I? Or vice versa. We have people doing all kinds of things and they're questioning their faith and they don't know if the faith is strong. They don't know if Jesus is strong enough to give them the lifestyle as defined in the Bible. They don't know. This poor transsexual young man doesn't know the power that exists in Jesus to set him free from this sexual confusion. The drug addict doesn't know there's power from on high to rescue him from the daily cravings that he must, he has to give into those cravings in the flesh. He cannot otherwise do it. That's an addiction. You need an external power source to come in and trump and give you the power to overcome. And so what the world is doing is they're selecting certain sins and saying, it's too hard. Not only do we enable you, but we celebrate it. You know the devil's not far, at least with the transsexual community or the, 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 the LGBT community, when they take an overt sin, not only endorse it and celebrate it, but they take the covenant symbol, ironically, of what God would never do again to destroy the world with water, the rainbow. Be mad at the devil, not the person, because that person may be your daughter or your grandson. We, more now than ever, need to instruct people. In order to do that, we must speak truth and love and guide people that there is power. But you cannot do that unless you've experienced the power yourself. So I'm starting with you today. Not your son, not your grandfather. We're going to come back to this at the end, okay? But the Spirit expressly says many will depart from the faith in the end and they'll follow demonic teachings. It's very sobering, isn't it? Okay, those are the first two tests. Now let's go to the third. Oh boy. This is something that we've seen an increase in the last two years like never before. Um, Actually, let's use the last 100 years compared to the last thousands of years of human history. I think that's the perspective that will really make it clear. These are pictures that we got. Um, I don't know if you know Drew Hernandez. Drew Hernandez is on Instagram. He puts a lot of the footage together for Fox News and other news agencies. We'll actually use his footage, CNN and MSNBC and, and all these others. They, don't, they won't use his, his, uh, his footage. That, because the, the footage that he's using that's actual in many cities across the United States that actually happened, he actually took the footage. He goes to all of the so-called protests, some of which are bona fide, most of which are not, and he captures the truth about these riots and these violent parties. And none of the news agencies that I mentioned, besides Fox and a few of the other conservative ones, 
They won't show this stuff. Whereas if you go back in time, even 30 years, whoever sent anything that was testifying and bonafide and absolutely undisputed facts within the ground, they'd show it and comment. Today's news agencies won't do that because they all have a political bent to it. So it's not really news, it's more of a commentary and a conditioning of the political viewpoints. And you've got to ask yourself one question. What is the root of where that political view is coming from? If Satan is the prince and power of the air, which it says in Scripture, which was written 2,000 years ago, long before airwaves became available, he used the word of mouth and teachers and fake teachers. You can only imagine what he could do with the power of the Internet or broadcasting power. That's why if you ever watch something and you say, that sounds a little bit off. I'm going to fact check that and you figure out, I'm glad you did because you had discernment skills to know that they falsely reported it and they won't retract it. This last two years, we've seen lawlessness like never before. I live in Minneapolis. Never in my life have I seen a police precinct attacked and fully endorsed by the mayor himself. Can I just stop right now? What time is it? It is 11.38. I'm going to give you this. So I live in Minneapolis, and I was there at Ground Zero, the whole thing. I watched that whole thing go down. With my very eyes, I've been down there several times myself, in person. I know you've had your chop zone here. We've had our chop zone from day one, and it's still there, by the way. Still there. It's got a shrine. I've got a fist hanging out right there, right outside of Cup Foods. You can go into Cup Foods and get pizza. It's a nice pizza, I might add. The, the news of WCCO, which is a liberal news agency, local. I remember the first four nights of the riots. And, you know, the, <laughs> they had a guy on the site. He had his microphone there's buildings burning, you know, fast food restaurants are on fire. And, and the two, the two people at the head office of WCCO were like, now folks, um, we, we've got, we've got you on the ground over there. Now we see fire and there's a lot of people running around and throwing objects. What's that? Yeah, these are just the uh, protesters, uh, you know, they're expressing their, themselves here. And, um, you know, we've got a, we've got a restaurant burning behind me. Now, now we, we've never seen anything like this, folks. Um, uh, why isn't the fire truck there? Well, the fire truck isn't here because it, they've deemed it unsafe and the police don't want to come down here because they'll be attacked. And the two liberal WCCO people said, folks, we've never seen anything like this before. We're very concerned for the public's safety. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm just the 52-year-old privileged white male that's a xenophobe, homophobe, and an Islamophobe. I, I'm, you know... I'm saying that cynically, okay? I'm not actually, okay? And these are people in the camp commenting on a new chemical that's just been injected into the, into the system, which is lawlessness. Forget the United States. Forget it. Go to South Africa. During this time, and still happening, they're, t they're ceasing lands from people and taking them away. Because they can. They can just get away with it. Still to this day, you have people breaking into shops and stealing whatever they want. Who's going to hold them accountable? Does anyone even care? After all, they all have insurance. Lawlessness is something that you're going to see on the increase. And here, here it actually says that in the text. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, Thessalonians, I told you these things? He's talking about end times things. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians. And now you know what is restraining. Restraining what? Well, it's restraining evil lawlessness. Because he's going to say that. That he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So again, I'm making the case that lawlessness and a lot of these other benchmarks have been kind of steady, steady diet of human uh, experience since the first century. It's just that you'll see a spike in the last days. <laughs> Only he who now restrains the lawlessness will do so until he's taken out of the way, the one who restrains lawlessness. And then the lawless one will be revealed, who, by the way, the Lord will consume with a bright breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. He's saying that 
as we approach the end, there will be an increase of lawlessness so much so that they're going to get a lawless one who will come after the so-called restrainer is removed. You're a believer, many of you. Many of you are in city councils. Many of you are in the military. Many of you are in the finance industry. Many of you are in the education industry. Many of you are in uh, the industries of different blue-collar work and white-collar work. And Christians are found everywhere in the world, in every country. They have influencing ability. Some of them are presidents of major organizations or companies. And they have huge influence. And the Spirit of God has them care about things that their flesh wouldn't care about, act and say things that their flesh is too scared to care about. And they're able to shape policy. They're able to make a difference in the world. Right on down to creating a shoebox for a starving child somewhere. Why should you care about that? Because the Spirit of God is in you and He's called you to restrain poverty and hunger at least for one kid for one time. I'll take that. Did you know that natural disasters, the first people anywhere in the world to show up are believers and then usually military organizations? Restraining of evil, if you can imagine, if, if, if you were taken out as the Bible says, the church will be taken out. The world gets to say, oh, those stupid Christians are finally gone. Now we can do whatever we want. Yes, it's a party. Can you imagine the vacuum of leadership that's going to create? I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, where I want. And everybody's doing that. It's like the, the riots on steroids and they're just doing whatever they want. And then it creates a leadership vacuum where a lawless one can come and bring order and he's got supernatural power as the Bible's instructed us. And we see that clearly in the book of Revelation and other parts of Scripture. My friends, uh, you tell me if we don't see an increase of lawlessness. The scoffer test, okay? People will come to you if you claim to be a Christian, especially in the last days, and they'll say, don't you think it's a little bit narrow-minded to say there's only one way to God and through Jesus? Don't you think that's a little narrow-minded? We see, see, we are, we are really, we are really good, better people than you because we're shaking hands and singing kumbaya with the Muslims and the Zoroastrians and the Shintoists and the Jews and everybody. And see, we have the coexist bumper sticker. Do you have the coexist bumper sticker on the back of your car? See, we, we are globalists. We believe that we are all together. And you Christians have been preaching unity, but you're really just a white man's religion. See, we have the truth. See, we know what true sexuality is. If somebody identifies as being a woman or man, then we should call them that. We should have open borders because it's the moral thing to do. After all, you Christians have been preaching compassion, mercy, and grace, and now here's an example for you to apply it. See how they're twisting things? And they'll say, shame on you for believing only one way. Shame on you for believing in a hell as if they knew better about what righteousness is to justify whether they decide whether somebody goes to hell or not, whether to believe in it or not. They're actually putting themselves out to be God or gods because they know better than God. It's a failure to recognize the holiness and righteousness of God who gets to say things because we're in a sinful state and we are we have the, the chutzpah, that's a Hebrew word, the schmaltz, the, the nerve, the gall to say to God, which... How conveniently we just uninvent him and just say that was just for the ancients, the ignoramuses of the world. See, the world would have all of you believe in this new one-world order that is man-centric. And even though culture has changed throughout the world and in different countries, this globalism has finally been able to, to assemble itself, especially in the last 100 years, of the one-world kumbaya coexist bumper sticker. And it's changed so much, it's almost like nailing jello to the wall. Maybe I'm crazy, but I would rather base my life, even at high cost within culture, in documents that have not changed and have proven to be true over and over again, and the people that believe it have experienced the power of God, healed relationships, healed marriages, success in parenting, overcoming of addictions, and clarity in sexual uh, identity. That's just a hit list of some of the samples. I'd rather base my life on that. And even some people in the first and second centuries went to death because they believed that. Would you go to death for these beliefs? Nailing jello to the wall? 
they're scoffing at you. They're saying, ha, you believe in the Jesus coming back? Maybe there was a historical Jesus. Probably there was because they'd be completely out of their minds not to believe that. The historical evidence is overwhelming. So what they get to do is say, the rapture, the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus. I think you've been a little bit nutty. Have you had one too many vodka martinis? (laughs) They're going to laugh at you and they already are. It's ironic. Even though Bill Maher has been doing this for years, he's beginning to wake up. Not that he's a believer, but he's beginning to see the racket of the architects behind a lot of this thinking. And he's remaining silent, at least for now. But the world will laugh at you more as you move forward if you believe the Bible. So you have, you have several choices. One, you can believe the Bible and you can preach it and you can try to live it and you can be honest when you fall. And you can pray and you can fight through things and people will see that. And that is the way I've chosen. Others are saying, I just want a middle grounds. I'm going to redefine what the Bible says about things that the culture approves. I'm going to redefine that, and I'm going to concoct kind of another faith, which is really a form of apostasy, because you're, you're, you're departing from the faith. Even the first century fathers, in some of their writings, predicted this would happen, and they identified areas that it would, and that's exactly what's happening in, in the culture today. Or... You could join the scoffers and nail jello to the wall and see if it holds up for a few weeks until you get a new piece of jello and a new nail and a new hammer. And you can electrocute yourself so many times and say, next time it'll work, next time it'll work, next time it'll work. And you can roll your dice and gamble with your soul. And you can see how things work out. But the Bible has already defined where the world is going prophetically and how it actually will work out. So the trade-off is, do you want to belong with a false sense of real fellowship, which they turn against each other all the time anyway? Or do you want real fellowship, real equality, real role distinction, absolutes, the confidence to know that you're standing on truth, but it may cost you. It did the ancients cost them their life. But would you die for a lie? At least before, at least in this, you get to stand before God with a clean conscience. And let's face it, most of us won't die. We'll just have to tolerate scoffers. Look what it says here, just for fun. Peter, different author, says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, that's the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? (laughs) For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The sun will will rise tomorrow and we're all going to go to work. There's no rapture. There's no second coming. (laughs) It'll be just like that. It's crazy talk. For this they willingly forget. Willingly forget. They reject. They they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. They forgot that. They're ignoring it. In fact, they're using the symbol of that covenant and applying it to a new world order. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So if it wasn't enough to destroy the world with water, because they did what was right in their own eyes, and it says in Genesis, God looked upon man, and their thoughts were only evil continually all the time. You won't do it with water again. Put the rainbow there as proof. In the future, when he comes back, he's going to destroy the world with fire. And the, the, the world is laughing at you of that. <laughs> you actually believe that nonsense? You know, your friends at work, your friends at school, your friends at university will say, you actually believe that? What are you going to say? I'd rather base my life on a much more valuable document than putting jello on the wall. 
sounds like you're willing to risk your soul as opposed to me. See, if I die and you die and you're right and I'm wrong, we just both go into oblivion. It's, it's a wash. If I'm right and you're wrong, then I go to heaven and you go to hell. Either way, I win. Who's the stupider person of the two? I deal a lot with these kinds of people. And then I get the F you and they walk away because they don't know what to say. I won't actually say that word. Now I'm going to put some gas. We talked a lot about this, so I won't really park here very much. The assembly of a one-world government test. In the Bible, it predicts that there is a cyclical effort of humanity to create a one-world government. They've never been successful in history. They've tried many times. This has been going on particularly over the last 100 years, particularly. Okay. Up till then, it was more or less nationalist. And I'm going to just kind of say a few things here. Nationalist governments have thought they could usher in globalism by basically doing a software overwrite of all the cultures and languages of the world. This has been tried many times. In fact, uh, right now, as, as it stands, the UN and other, uh, other organizations of other governing authorities, especially in Europe, which Daniel predicted is where the Antichrist will come out of it, as Europe, They want a one-world government, a one-world finance system, a one-world shared beliefs and culture, and they're using global warming, uh, global climate change now, to be more accurate, because the world has proven not necessarily to be warm, especially if you live in Minnesota, where I live. I've had some of the coldest winters in human history. Um, I don't like that any more than you. I almost hope global warming is true just because I can relax in northern Minnesota, but it's not, so I can't. So anyway, a little bit of cynicism there. Global advancements have been very successful in the last 100 years. For example, in 1935, a new world order symbol was on the back of the U.S. dollar bill. It was 1935. 1940, H.G. Wells publishes the book, The New World Order. 1945, that's the year World War II ended, the U.N. was founded. 1949, NATO is established. 1973, the Trilateral Commission is established. 1995, the World Trade Organization is formed. In 2002, the FDA-approved Verichip was approved. 2009, the body responsible for managing the Internet, ICON, takes over from the U.S. to become global. In 2019, just a few years ago, countries around the world have increased facial recognition, surveillance, email, text, phone monitoring, geolocation data from smartphones, vehicles, credit card data, and Bitcoin now is, a, is an alternate form of payment in, in, in allowing people in third world countries to access uh, goods and services. Not that there's anything wrong with any of these things. But because of technology on the sweep, the globalists will capitalize on that technology and advance their cause. And I say this, for every time they use technology, we in Behold Israel are going to use it twice fold for the sake of the gospel. Okay? I invite you to join me in the journey and take the tools that God is allowing us and to take it and use it for the glory of God because it makes more sense and it makes more sense to the, the law of God written in us, the conscience also bearing witness, as it says in Romans 1 and 2. And they, even non-believers, are waking up to this whole thing. I've mentioned a few names. Even non-believers are beginning to wake up. They just don't know what to believe in anymore. That's where you come in, in the PTA meetings. When somebody asks, says, hey, can I talk to you about something? I've noticed that you go to church. Why do you do that? Or you could push back in a meeting and say, hey, I'm not sure this is the best plan forward. I'm willing to bet that most of the community does not agree with this decision. I promised you earlier I'd give you my illustration. Here we go, Pastor. Globalism, as defined by Bill Maher, he gets to take the blame, is no more than a jar of diarrhea. And I I could even add, even with corn in it. Because even when you don't eat corn, it appears in there, so we have to include it. And he's saying they're serving that up as soup in the kitchen. And he... He's asking everybody to pee and do all that stuff in the kitchen while we are uh, doing the opposite of what we've always been trained to do, to eat actual food cuisine. Oh, we have change. 
If you're 40 or older, you can see this in how things have changed. If you're like 30 or younger, you might need to study a little history and see what changes have taken place, especially the last 100 years. Because look at this. Psalms chapter 2, which was written in the Davidic period of ancient Israel, around the 800s B.C., hello, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? They've always been doing this. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed. They already knew back then that there would be an anointed one, Jesus coming. Let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. At the very core of the globalist movement is the power of human ingenuity and potential. Let us come together and make a great name for ourselves. We don't need any accountability structures from organized religion that has failed us and led us to many wars in the past, even though socialism is, has completely dwarfed all the wars of religion, so-called religion, just one, even just Pol Pot in Southeast Asia. Dwarfed all the religious wars combined throughout human history. They don't like the facts, though. You have to deal with them with feelings. You know that nine out of ten students base decisions based on the way they feel at any given time? Your kids versus actual substantive moral codes. That's why we're struggling in the military right now. Got a lot of sexual assault, a lot of drinking, and even drug use, unprecedented. It's very frustrating as a chaplain. So I, I, uh, I want to know, I want you to know that Alexander the Great of Greece tried to do this with nationalism. It failed. He conquered the no world, couldn't keep it together because other people wanted to do what they want, when they want, how they want, with whom they want, where they want. Augustus Caesar tried to do this. His whole kingdom fractured into four kingdoms after that. It was a mess. It was an absolute train wreck. He tried to wed nationalism into a globalist world order. Not everyone liked his rhetoric, so they rejected it. And then, of course, there's this clown who tried to do this in Europe. Almost succeeded, militarily at least, but it was not meant to be. Now, Eisenhower is up here. We will be out of time in one minute, so I'm on borrow time. And so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk fast. But I've gotten to this point and now here is the gut punch. If you've been sleeping, if you've been looking at your cell phone and if you've been hating on me this whole time, you cannot deny that in 1948 the state of Israel was reborn and was in non-existence until the diaspora happened in 70 AD. So we're going from 70 AD to 1948 AD. And we have the rebirth of a nation, the rebirth of a language, the rebirth of a new economy in the world, so much so that Israel is one of the world's superpowers today. So one of the benchmarks based on Matthew 24, where Jesus says this, and I'm going to quote Jesus from Matthew chapter 24. He's talking about the tribulation period and the second coming. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree, because the disciples were asking, How close are we to the tribulation period and your second coming? They wanted to know. Do you blame them? He says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, these signs that he gives, that I just gave, he mentions the same things in a consolidated way. Read it for yourself, Matthew 24. When you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say, the generation, this generation that witnesses these things, will by no means pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He's saying that the fig tree in different parts of this prophecy is something you should pay attention to. And they understood the fig tree, and you can read about this for yourself in the text, that it represents Israel coming back to life, that he cursed in the first century, and they were conquered by Rome. He says all of these signs that we talked about right here will become a reality, and the fig tree itself will come back to life during that time. And then you're going to know that the time of my second coming is at hand. Does that run a shiver down your spine? Two more 
gut punches, and then I'm going to kick you loose. Every year that goes by, every year that goes by, there are more Jews that return to their homeland than the previous year with the exception of several years, since 1948. Did you also know that every single year that goes by, more and more Jewish Israelis are coming to faith in Jesus than the previous year, and congregations are growing at speeds we've never seen? If Ezekiel chapter 38 and 37, which predicts the Holocaust, the the regathering of Israel to its land, and a spiritual revival, if that's true and this is really happening today, you would expect Israel to be in its land, more immigration happening every single year than the previous, and more people coming to faith. All three of those you have. That's in addition to Jesus' prediction in Matthew 24, which I just read openly to you. If that's not enough, Look what it says in Ezekiel 37, verse 21. Thus says the Lord God, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations. The nations. Not just Babylon where they were held in exile, but the nations. He's looking at a broader perspective. Wherever they've gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. That's Ezekiel 37. Did you know that in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it also predicts that when Israel is in the land, there will be a coalition that wants its resources and they will invade. Did you know that Turkey, Russia, and Iran have been in Syria now for several years and want the resources of Israel, particularly its natural gas? Did you know that Russia won the bid in Europe because of our government and many other governments because of a globalist perspective, and they're schlepping gas in a pipe all the way to Europe. They're basically funneling all of their resources to Europe and and, and earning a ton where natural gas that could be have been provided by Israel is only a fraction of the cost. Putin wants everything in Israel. Turkey wants everything in Israel, and so does Iran. Israel does operations in Syria almost weekly, destroying Iranian and Turkish targets. And nobody wants to talk about it. Look at this. Putin and Erdogan, and even the Iranians, want a coalition to funnel resources to their own countries so that they can have a global presence again that they lost. The Turks under the Ottomans, the great Russian socialist empire, and the Iranians, they want the Persian empire back with their sick play of the Shiite eschatological plans to unfold and the final uh, caliphate. And Israel is the key because they have resources. This is happening right now. I'm not making this up. Go, You, you go wherever you want to the news. You're going to find everything I'm saying here. Your homework tonight is to read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Look up the regions that's mentioned there, and you tell me that this is not the case we have today. By the way, the first time in human history. Alongside all the other benchmarks I gave you with the resuscitation of Israel, in addition to that. And this is where I'm going to leave you. If that's not enough, in the text in Ezekiel, it mentions that Sheba and Dedan, these two regions, will criticize Turkey, Russia, and Iran for wanting to invade and invading Israel. And they'll say, why, why, why have you come to do this? Did you know that in 2020 with the Abraham Accords, President Trump brokered peace with already several of these countries that are defined as Sheba and Dedan in the Arab Peninsula. Up until then, they've been enemies of Israel, so they could never condemn any evasion of Israel. But now they're Israel's friends because they they all view Iran as the common threat. So Israel is now my friend, brokered through peace, in case Iran or these other countries come and invade us, because we have resources. The Arabian Peninsula, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, many other countries that are doing these under-the-cover deals with Israel so they can get intel and defense systems in place against Iran. Who wants to take them over? Because Iran's always said that. And Israel gets to get some money from all of the, all of these wonderful Sunni people. Uh, we are getting the money for our economy and we prosper more. Which the Bible says in Ezekiel that when Israel's comfortable in the land, that's when the invasion will occur. That's why I gave it to you for homework. Here's one just to whet the appetite. Ezekiel 38 says, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, that's Russia and this coalition, 
Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, and take away livestock and goods to take plunder? Why, why, why? It's criticizing. If you look at ancient Sheba and Dedan, these are regions and cities within the Arabian Peninsula of Ezekiel's day. Coincidence? You have to decide. Where are we on in the prophetic timeline? You waited this whole time to even go over time. And so I'm going to share with you in one minute this. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, 24 through 27, it predicts 70 sets of seven, 70 weeks, otherwise known as. The first seven so-called weeks predict that there would be a rebuilding of Jerusalem after a Persian decree went out in 445 B.C. That was completed, and he said there will be additional 62 sets of seven, and then the Messiah will come and be cut off and give his life as a ransom for many, his, give his life for his people. From the decree of 445 B.C., and if you use a Jewish calendar um, and use the Jewish days, from that point, um, 360 days per year in the Jewish calendar, not 365 like ours, if you divide 69 sets of seven, which is 483 years, if you make that into days in a Jewish calendar, from the decree of, of, of Persia, Artaxerxes Langamanus, until the first coming of Messiah, there would be 173,880 days based on the Jewish calendar. Because of calendar anomalies, leap years, what do we do with the year zero and other factors, that gets us to 32 A.D. just without doing any adjustment. In other words, Daniel prophesied and predicted that the first coming of Messiah to give his life, specifically mentioned in Daniel, that he would be cut off for the sake of his people. He predicted the first coming of Messiah. Early 330s. It's very haunting. But the other one last set of seven is still outstanding, and the early church knew it. And there's a lot of commentary in the 100s and 200s A.D. about this, not to mention the Bible itself. Defining it as the last week or the day of Jacob's trouble, the period of the day of the Lord. That last week we're still looking forward to and we're in the church area era and we're waiting for something called the rapture with the world will scoff at you at that you believe in that, that will one day be just taken, even though the church fathers talked a lot about it. And that one last week is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24. He says there will be signs and birth pangs and then the whole thing will shake down. Where are we at in the prophetic timeline? I'll say it with a little bit of a smile. We are closer than we've ever been. <laughs> I came to hear that. Here's what you came to hear. Every single one of these benchmarks, you have to ask, because the Bible said so. We, we documented that. We've shown you where it says it in Scriptures. The last days you'll see an increase of these things. Do you see an increase in those things? If you don't, do you see Israel in the land prospering? If you don't, you're insane. If let's say you don't even see that. Do you see the coalition forces in Syria, just north of Israel, as predicted? And do you see a coalition of forces that are allied with Israel, but are unprepared to do anything about it, like Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and the lions? Now, you can either believe the Bible... Or you can take things that you want to believe from the Bible, which is really just a version of globalism. It just makes you a conservative globalist. Or you can be a globalist and reject everything and then nail your life and your soul like jello to the wall. I'm the guy that disrupts. I'm the thorn in your flesh. I'm the guy that wakes you up because I love you too much to see you get hit by a Mack truck filled with concrete on a freeway. I will leave tomorrow, and I hand you over to this church leadership, which I trust I wouldn't be here otherwise, neither would we, to grow in your relationship with Jesus and to understand deeper the magnitude of what I'm talking because you are here for such a time as this, and you could have been in 14 other places today, let's face it. Somebody might have even drug you here, and you didn't want to be here, and yet you are. What are you going to do with this information? I don't know. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to surrender right back over to the pastor and we'll see if he has me back because I went over 15 minutes. Let's all stand. Lord, we come before you and we are 
very interested to see where everything's going, believer or unbeliever. We don't know what, uh, what the future holds in its detail, but Lord, we just know that we can trust you. And my friend, if you're serious about this, in the privacy of your heart, come clean and say, Lord Jesus, my life, I want it to be around your life. I want your life in my life, and I want you to call the shots, and I want you to enlighten me. I want you to help me understand what all of this means, and I want to be able to share this with somebody who asks me, prove to me we're in the last days, so that even people like Bill Maher and Dave Chappelle and Morgan Freeman and Jerry Seinfeld and all of these people that are smelling a rat can say, that makes sense. Help me. Go with us, Lord. Show us. Give us courage, especially in these days when people are making jokes of us. In Jesus' name, amen.